from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 66 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee. Across the glass from me, Mr. Lance Dahl. Shout out Mario Lemieux. Number 66. Yeah, there it is. I was like, light bulb took a few seconds. Nice. Hey, 66. <laughs> Look at us go. Also on the line tonight, out in Campbell River, Mr. Corey Bacoskis. Shout out Josh Hosang, question mark? <laughs> is he still in the oh, league? Oh, we, we did it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, Josh Hosang. Took you a while, eh? Yeah, no, Favorite 66. Yeah. <laughs> uh, glad to be talking to you tonight. Lots to talk about on the show. We'll start things off as we often do in the WHL. Another weekend of play for the Messinat Tigers. And as Meatloaf once said, two out of three ain't bad. They take two games of the three-game weekend series against the Calgary Hitmen. I only use that line, Lance, because you use it in your newscast on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a that was a good one. I think Brian Conrad probably wrote yeah, that for you. Our news guy wrote that in. So I that was that. Uh, that was pretty good. True story. And uh, yeah, like you said, two out of three games against Calgary. Very good performances. I was nice to see our boy Beckett Lang Cal get oh, his first yeah. career start. And boy, did he turn out, Corey. Yeah, that was a fun game to watch. Um, so I, I think I was going down to the store to get, I don't know, something for dinner. Um, and the game had started and then I was like, all right. I'm going to get back as soon as I can, but I'm going to miss the first like 10 minutes or so. I just, just please Calgary don't score. And then on my way back, I get a notification saying Calgary up one, nothing. I'm like, Oh no, this is not going to be good. Um, but then everything turned around. I got, uh, I got to watch my boy and the, you know, the, the magic started to happen. He just, he looked really good. Um, I think all the things we've been saying nice about him for all these years, uh, I think I think we were kind of right about it. You know, he he looks kind of legit. Like it, it's hard to be modest when you're this right. Like it, <laughs> no, it exactly. really is like, tough. Like the guy is legit. Like Beckett Lankow is going to be one of the best goaltenders the Mesa Tigers have ever seen. Like I'm calling it already. Yeah. I mean, how you give up a goal like Corey said early in your first start. And then you end up posting just that one yeah. and make 34 saves. It would rattle most kids. Wild. It's wild. And, and I think a lot of these kids are benefiting from the fact that the uh, rinks are empty. Um, so it, it gives it a little less pressure to, to that extent. You can uh, not necessarily feel or what you would uh, perceive as, as negative energy. You can kind of flush that out. And if, if you're mentally tough... Um, you can succeed at a, at a young age in this league this year. Um, I think that's uh, also evidenced maybe to a, a lesser extent because Connor Bedard is so talented, and I'm sure we'll touch on that in a second. But uh, with Beckett, that's just an incredible, incredible first start. Um, that has to make the Tigers coaching staff very happy and very excited to, to see what comes. Absolutely. I mean, I got a text from the one and only Matt Wong Matty. on Friday night. Uh, he, sh- right. he shouted it out and... He just like you guys should have seen him. He was fantastic. He was amazing to watch, and mm-hmm. I mean, I can echo that sentiment as well. Watching alongside you guys on the stream, but uh, yeah, the, he's very happy with the development of both of his goaltenders. And I shouted, I just said, like, Garen's been playing fantastic as well in the number one one A role that he's been playing for the Tigers. So they got some great goaltending the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, and Lance, you bring up a good point. Like the the pressure 
obviously there's like the, the given pressure that it's being your first WHL game and you obviously want to be su- successful for your for your new team but I mean you know we were sitting on a gold mine last season with Mads and Garen and now this Tigers fan base they still have Garen but now we've you know for the past year or two we've been looking like okay what's past this what's mm-hmm. going to be who's going to be the next Mads um, you know who's going to be Garen's backup and we thought it might be Jammer for that but you know all of a sudden this 17 year old undrafted prospect comes in and you got some big shoes to fill whether it be Mads or Garen and so um, a lot of pressure going into that first game to be to have your first appearance as a, as a Tiger and you know all you know, I'm guessing a lot of Tigers fans are watching, and that was the first time they had seen Beckett Lankow, and and what a performance by him. I'm willing to bet for for 99.99999 percent of people, uh, that was their first Beckett Lankow experience, and yeah, I know. I'll be completely honest. Not everyone's obviously going to go that way because he's a rookie, um, but not many of right. them are also going to stray from that. Like it was a very typical game that you'd kind of expect from a guy. That looks like Beckett Lankow. I mean, he's not Mad Sogard where he's massively and, and can kind of cover the the uh, the net just by you know being in front of it. Uh, he's not like Merrick Langhammer where uh, athleticism out the yin yang and, and kind of almost relies on that. Like Beckett's very quiet, um, like stands tall, is always in a good position, and it, it's funny. Like in conversations that that I've had with with Matt Wong before. Uh, just kind of BSing when we were able to be back in the co-op place and, and watching Tigers hockey. Um, it was always a conversation about positioning. Like, positioning is one of the easiest things to teach, but one of the hardest things to master. It's like skiing. Skiing is really easy to learn, but it's hard to master. Um, and so when you kind of see Beckett have that positioning, like, base, so to speak, it... Uh, like I, I'm, I'm no joke. Super, super excited to see what happens because I, uh, I've put all my eggs in the Beckett Line Cow basket. Yeah, we're the number one fanboys. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, before he even got into the dub, we were his first like training camp appearance. Mm-hmm. We've been raving about him since yeah, last yeah. year. It was like five minutes. Yeah. Ago. He he played like a season of minor midget in. Alberta, and we we're like, yeah, this guy. This That's guy. it. <laughs> That's the yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about him, and, and we were at home, like we were broadcasting from home, and he was putting up ridiculous stats yeah. in, in the yep. minor, minor. So it was great to see him uh, in a Tigers uniform. Uh, also, got to shout out Cole Clayton, Cowboy Clayton. Just continues to rack up points from the back end. He's up to 14 and seven games. Named the WHL Player of the Week. Um, <laughs> we were talking about this in the chat, like. Corey, you brought up the good point. Like he's being able to put himself in fantastic offensive situations because he knows the goaltending behind him is going to bail them out of any you know really bad defensive play. He's just putting up the points like nonstop, and that power play also to that effect has been lights out. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit joking by that just to pump Beckett Lankow's tires, but there's <laughs> a lot of truth to it. Like just you know, Garen's a, a great goalie in this league, and now we're finding out about Beckett too. Um, but I think, yeah, obviously the, the first line power play time that he's getting, I mean, I think four of his goals and four of his assists are from the power play. So, um, that's a new role that we, I don't think we expected to see him in. Um, I probably started the season would have chalked up Daniel Baker to be there, or even Van Imp or Krebs or something. But, um, the fact that he's quarterbacking that with four forwards, I mean, that's, that's sure going to help with the, the offensive talent that the Tigers have, but, 
I mean, like he's he's seen such a progression. I mean, his 18 year old year, I forget how many points it was, but I think it was in the single digits digits. And then as a 19 year old, he puts up two goals and 30 something assists. And it's like, Oh, okay. He's got a little bit of an offensive touch to him. And then uh, like, just he's dominating as a 20 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, uh, I used to joke Cole Clayton for Norris. Um, (laughs) Kind of eating it this year though. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, like the 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 jump and, and naturally there's going to be one when you're in your 20 year um there there is going to be that natural just kind of progression and jump you're going to assume some bigger responsibility and just kind of be maybe a little bit ahead of the curve compared to the rest of the league but that's not really the case here with Cole and that's what's really interesting to me like you said Corey he's getting uh first power play time but not necessarily that he's getting it he's earning it um, and a lot of it comes from from his footwork. Uh, he he was always been this big body. Uh, I remember in his 18 year old year, you looked at him and said, "Man, if he could just start using that size and just start hitting people, then he can see his uh, game take a jump." His 19 year old year, he does that. He starts hitting people. He's you know using that size and that frame that he has. And then he said, "You know, if he could just become a better skater, that would take his game to the next level." And lo and behold, Cole Clayton in his 20-year-old year has become a better skater. And his game has gone to another level. I mean, just the ability that Cole has to walk the blue line with a lot of poise um, does come with a little bit of age, obviously, but a lot of it's because you trust your footwork. Um, so that that's a big thing that I've noticed with, with Cole. I mean, the points are obviously incredible, but I think a lot of that's attributed just to the amount of work he's put into skating. Yes, and I, I know on the broadcast working some of the games with Bob, um, they've been talking about how Joe Frazier has been bringing up how great his conditioning is. He mm-hmm. came into camp really working on that conditioning, and it shows, like he says, like he's just playing and skating at a much different level than we've ever seen Cowboy do, and he's just been playing fantastic on the back end. Like you mentioned, I mean, you could e- easily have Baker or Van Imp be that offensive role like in years past, there's always been like kind of one main offensive defenseman among that decor. Mm-hmm. And as of right now, a Cowboys filling not only the offensive role, but he's playing a fantastic defensive game like he's always been. Yeah, and you know, I think the thing I'm most excited for, and I'm going to be taking it away from Cole Clayton here, uh, it's the fact that is he not the perfect defensive pairing for Drew Krebs as a 17-year-old right now? Just, like, big body that can help out on offense as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just excited to see what that D pairing can do for the rest of the season and how that, you know, we're going to see some things out of Drew Krebs over the season as he gets more comfortable with Cole um, that, you know, it's going to be like, damn, Drew Krebs deserves to be, a, you know, a top rounder in, in the NHL draft. Like, I think we're going to see a lot of growth from the guys around Cole Clayton, which I think is almost better than, than the growth we've seen just from him. Yeah, and one of the biggest things for Drew, from what I noticed in the steps that he took last year, was a jolt in confidence as the year went on. Um, obviously, when you start the season as maybe that fringe 6-7 defenseman, uh, and you're just kind of getting your feet wet in the league, confidence isn't exactly booming for 95%, I would say, of the players, uh, and you're just kind of finding your way. But by the end of the year, Drew Krebs was, was playing with a lot of poison, super confident, and now when you start playing with a guy like Cole Clayton, who exudes confidence on a regular basis, uh, that's going to rub off on you, and that's going to find its way into a lot of aspects of your game. 
Uh, so, so it's really exciting, like you said, for for Drew to to have that opportunity. I'm still super stoked that there's, uh, you know, a bunch of rookies on the blue line like Parsons and Brook that are are seeing time together. Nonetheless, that's pretty interesting to uh, create some cohesion there potentially uh, into next year. There's a lot to like, a lot to like with this team. And like you mentioned, these 10 rookies are, are can still continuing to make a mark uh, in one way or another. They keep kind of cycling in, uh, you know, those that are being scratched and those kind of playing different lines. We talked about uh, Glover, last pod, playing, you know, first line minutes for the first weekend series. He's been shift, shifting around. But Oasis Wiseblatt, I mean, he's playing right alongside Jozowski the last few games. And he potted a goal there on, on the Sunday night game. And he's been playing very well alongside players that are much older than him. But he's not, you know being out of place by any means. Yeah, it, it's I, it's one of the most exciting things to watch um, this Tigers team. And one of the reasons I keep uh, tuning back in is to see what these young guys can do. And I, I obviously I like him because he's from Vancouver Island, but Braden Bame just like every time he has the puck, he's doing something exciting with it. He's just got so much speed. And yeah, I, this, this lineup is just so fun to watch right now. And, you know, obviously you look at Edmonton and they're a powerhouse there, but, you know, there's something about the Tigers that, that just keeps keeps me coming back to keep watching them. Yeah, no, 100%. There's there's a ton to like. I, part of it's probably the uh, the unexpected that a lot of fans are liking because you just really don't know with that many new faces uh, what exactly you're going to get every night. And it, it's kind of like live theater where, some nights go really well, and then some nights of, of your run are absolutely disastrous. Uh, but they really haven't seen much disaster. So up to this point, it, it's been a really good start for them. Also, uh, I did want to give a shout-out to a friend of ours, friend of the pod, uh, Scott Roblin, for uh, for making the jump to full-time color this season for, Woo! I believe, the home games. That's right. Uh, with Bob Ridley. Uh, it, it's a massive, massive move for uh, a guy that works incredibly hard all the time like he's never I was talking to him today uh, earlier today he he hasn't ate all day it is it was 6:30 when I saw him right he has not had time to eat food um because he's been working and that's a constant thing for a guy like Scott and he's also uh really prepared yes. <laughs> he's very good on a broadcast he does his homework uh it's not his first egg and spoon race calling junior hockey games uh so shout out Scott Yes, he's very dialed in, dialed in excuse me, uh, to not only Tigers hockey, but just Medicine Hat sports as well. Mm-hmm. He can really provide perspective uh, across all the sports here in our community. So a uh, big shout out to Scott. Congratulations to you, sir. Uh, we did touch on Connor Bedard over in Regina, the Saskatchewan uh, Manitoba bubble that's going on in Regina. The kid is producing, 15 years old. He's got eight points in four games. Uh, that's all I see on WHL Twitter is highlights of Connor Bedard. And, uh, yeah, like he is NHL ready at 15. His shot looks fantastic. He's got moves. He, he's got some speed. Uh, the kid is, is really real right now. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to watch. Um, I, I haven't even watched any games. I've just been seeing the highlights, and I'm like, oh, my. Yeah. Um, he uh, And I think the best part of it is, like, who does he have to play with in Regina? Like, I think Carson Denemy's um, the guy that's kind of tagging in on the points with him, but like, you know, I, I don't even know who Carson Denemy is before <laughs> this time, right? Like, um, to go to a team that's kind of been a bottom feeder over the past two years and just completely revitalized the the uh, the whole organization and, um, like, geez, it's I, I don't know what to say. Like, for the first 15-year-old in the WHL or to play as a WHL, like, a full season, like, 
he's been exactly what this league needs to show that, you know, maybe some future 15-year-olds can do it. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, the conversation has come up in years past about who, like, should this player be granted exceptional status? Should this player be granted? And up until Connor Bedard, it was nobody, right? Yeah. And y- you kind of see why it was nobody until Connor Bedard. Um, this mm-hmm. th- There's a lot to unpack here with just how impressive the start is because, like, the first major hurdle that you would have to clear as a 15-year-old in the Western Hockey League, let alone the first to do it, is exceed expectations. Like, if we, if he was a point per game, I would say that meets expectations. Mm-hmm. Because I'd say so. we were all so high on him, and he's the first one to do it. Like, you're setting the bar yep. for what people are going to have to do. And it's really hard to over-deliver when you almost overpromise, and I think a lot of people leading into this year were overpromising on Connor Bedard, and he's overdelivering. Like it's it's incredible. I mean, it's only been four games granted, and like any hockey player ever, there will be slumps, and it's a matter of how you kind of deal with them. But this is just it, like forget the the game. Like I, I saw some of his shots and a few of the goals, and I'm like, yeah, those are those are great. Part of me expects that when we have never seen a 15-year-old be granted exceptional status. So, like, my bar is probably unfairly a little too high because I'm like, well, you're the first one to do it. You better be really good. Yeah. But I'm just more stunned at the moment and how he's not phased by it and doesn't seem to be bothered by it, and it's just another day at the office for Connor Bedard. It's incredible. (laughs) Two goals in your opening game, 48 seconds apart. Like, that is putting a stamp Mm -hmm. on your arrival in this league. And I mean, you look at you look at comparables in the O, like Tavares and like McDavid, and like you mentioned, Lance, like they put up basically a point a game in a full OHL season, like mm-hmm. sixty-five, seventy points. He's do he's already a six of his way through this season. <laughs> now again, it's not going to be. This is a precursor to next fall. Mm-hmm. But if this is the precursor, what is sixteen-year-old Connor Bedard going to put up in a full WHL season? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have anything more to add, or can I go to my question? <laughs> no, I don't really have anything more to add because there's. I, it, I have a tough time trying to find words like you. No, we'll uh, we'll have to see what happens for the rest of the season. Like, I just I might tune into some Regina Pats games, which I didn't think I'd say. I did on the Friday night. I, I'll be honest. Like, yeah. I wanted to see Connor play, and that's yeah. something I've never done. I will say this before you go to your question: uh, mm. is that I really hope. The Western Hockey League has fans in the building come October. Yeah. Yep. Because could you imagine if we have another year where people don't get to see Connor Bedard live? That would be just an absolute disaster for the league in what could be a potential huge moment. Money because for sure, yeah. Like, like he's, mm-hmm. he's going to be, at, at the rate he's going, he could be. I, I shouldn't say he will be, but he very well could be. Like, must watch when the Pats come to town. They're packing the, the building no matter where they're playing from Victoria to Winnipeg because Connor Bedard's here. And they haven't had a player like that in the dub? I don't know. Remind ever. me of the time. I don't know ever. Not like that. Not like that. No. Like, there's been I, really good guys, but I don't know about, I don't know about that. Throwing a weird name out there, was Tyson Ratty on that level? I heard that from a couple people that Tyson Ratty in a 19 year old year. Yeah. I mean, for Portland. 
Yeah, yeah out of Portland. I'm he pretty sure good. he was an Edmonton kid, if I remember right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I don't know why that name popped up to me. But anyway. uh, He's a great winger, for sure. Ty Ratty yeah. was, for, let's put it this way, because he kind of came up around my age group. Um, and, and so guys that would play on the, the band AAAs and whatever against him absolutely raved about how incredible Ty Ratty was. I think he set a bunch of records for like goals in, in Bantam AAA in Alberta. Uh, he right. was like next level. Um, him, Tyler Benson would be another one yeah. that had that level. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he, he had some injury problems. Yeah, but Benson never got there. In his draft year. Yeah. Yeah, Benson oh. never got to that level. Um, Ratty would be close, though. Ratty would be close. Braden Point would probably be uh, another close one as well. Braden Shen? No, not to the same yeah, level. Not the same. Shen point. was good. Yeah, but I don't think people were paying money to go see Braden Shen play. I just, I only know of. I was listening to the Dub Network podcast, and they were talking with uh, Lauren Melk in the, uh, you know, Saskatoon Blades GM at the time, and mm-hmm. he made that big trade, and they were talking about like the, how their season ticket totals skyrocketed when Shen came to town, playing for the hometown. I get that; it was a completely different yeah. scenario, but yeah, I just he came to mind right away too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All, right, All right, Corey, what is it? Okay, this is a question that I asked myself about about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago. Um, and I think I have a different answer then than I do now, and I'm interested to hear you guys' take. Who would win a Cole Cylinder for Connor Bedard trade? And now, before you say anything, I want you to think about how long they're going to be in the league for and the type of points they're going to be putting up and what kind of you know effective player they will be each year that they're in their, in their respective towns. So mm-hmm. I want to get your, uh, I wanna, let's go with Lance first. Who do you think would win that trade? You don't, you don't want to put yourself out there first. You want to ask the question and oh, field it. Oh boy. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, uh, I, I don't want to uh, step on your toes. No, no. I want to hear your guys' input. Okay. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Cole Sillinger plays Wayne, correct? Mm, I think he did last year, but I think he's a natural center. I think he was just not, Good enough. Okay. On to because he was on that Kemp Shazowski line, and they're both centers. So I think mm-hmm. he's just you know on man out. So if you were to, I, I mean, essentially, it's not necessarily a trade. It would just be like if I could pick one, really, because it's like, well, say five years, five years down the road from yeah. now, yeah, you look back, and the trade happened today, yeah, who won it? Well, I don't know that either one of them is going to really spend a lot of time in the dub. Um, That's the thing, right? I mean, their, their years are probably going to be very close because, I mean, who knows with Bedard, he might be out right when the draft hits. Yeah, he's going to be out at 18? Um, could be. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think 100%. I don't think he makes it to his 18-year-old year here. And so hmm. we could we could say that there's there's a reasonable plausibility that Cylinder makes it uh, back for his 19-year. Yeah. It's not guaranteed, but... Of the two choices, yeah, he's more be, likely. I, 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 I mean, I it's more so. likely, but... It's also not guaranteed or anything, but mm-hmm. for argument's sake, okay, let's say Cylinder would be here for his 19 years. So he's missing this year. They're essentially going to be playing the same amount of years in the WHL. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even though, like you said, if Cylinder's more designed to be a, uh, if he's a true centerman, I think his game, the way he plays it, fits more as a winger um, until his foot speed picks up, uh, which it might have in the USHL, I haven't seen. Um, but until he gets a better step, and typically, I personally, I don't love when my center is more of a goal scorer than a distributor. Um, not to mention the fact that, for all the reasons we just mentioned, where Connor Bedard 
can literally change the perception of a franchise if he pans out the way that he's trending and what people expect. I, I would I would say Bedard would be uh, your more preferred option. Okay, so you would say Medicine Hat would win the trade if they acquired Connor Bedard for Cole Cylinder, I would say yes. Okay, all right, Colby. Any differing opinions? Not entirely. I think that it kind of comes down to the team around them as well. Like I I understand that Bedard's a, a, could be a once in a generation type player for, in the dub and but I also feel like if he's if it's a one man show it's been very 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 few cases in hockey where one guy can carry an entire team depends if you're looking at strictly player success or team success mm-hmm. and if you're looking at the Medicine at Tigers versus the Regina Pats I'd say in this right now the Tigers are better suited longer term than the Pats are. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Right. Um, so in that yeah. case, I mean, you put you put Bedard on a better Tigers team than Sillinger would go to a Pats team where they're going to need every ounce of him. Then, yeah, you're probably looking at Bedard being the better overall player, not only just statistically, but also as a team balance point-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, interesting. I like it. Now you said you changed your answer from the time you asked yourself this a year ago. So, what is your opinion now versus what it was then? Okay, yeah. So, I think um, I think it's two different things: who I would rather have and who would win the trade. I think Medicine Hat wins the trade. Very good point, Colby. Um, if you take in the fact that. Um, the Tigers have this youth movement right now that's going to grow up in a couple of years and they're going to have a very competitive team. Um, Medicine Hat would win that. Um, I just think I would, I just, how Cylinder is going to grow and I hope he grows his, his speed and obviously the presence that he builds. I think a 19 year old Cylinder will be better than a Connor, a 17 year old Connor Bedard. Um, maybe not points wise, but I just, I think, um, if you were to choose one, I would take Sillinger because I think Bedard's going to be out of here um, after a 17-year-old year. Um, and I think Sillinger, there's probably a chance that he stays for his 19-year-old year. So you, they're playing the same years. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. It was just uh, I was just curious. It was something I asked myself when Bedard first got drafted. I was like, do you trade Sillinger to his hometown team and you know maybe get mm. you know uh, a franchise player in Bedard? But anyway. Yeah, I just... To me, like the the potential for, and and this isn't even recency bias because he has eight points in four games. If he had zero points in four games, it'd probably be a, uh, the very similar discussion. Considering he's the first one to be granted exceptional status, that's already going to link your team name to him, good, bad, or otherwise, for the rest of time. Yeah, that's true. Um, you'll be known as the team that had the first. Uh, player granted exceptional status. I think that alone could potentially do a lot for a franchise. Was um, Tavares the first one in the O as well? I feel like he was be one of them. Yeah, like he was think, early. Wasn't it? Was it Jason Spezza? Might have been Spezza. Spezza was exceptional as well. Yeah, Spezza. It was a weird rule way back when, where like if you you wanted to play as a 15 year old, you had to play for your hometown team first and then get drafted after that year. Mm. So I think he played, I forget who he played for his hometown team and then got drafted to another team. Mm. I'm just looking up here. Um, 
technically they've only had five in the OHL. It was Tavares, it was Ekblad, McDavid, mm-hmm. Sean, Day, Sean Day, Sean Day, and Shane Wright. Spets is not on this okay. list. And the only one in the queue was Joe Valeno. Is that the exceptional status list? That's the exceptional status list. Okay. Yes. So I think so. Yeah, I think Spezza played as a 15 year old, but I don't. I don't know if it. Mm. I don't know if it'd be called exceptional status back then. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I appreciate the question. That was really good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. We'll, we'll right. have to revisit that next season when uh, Stillinger yeah. gets back into Medicine Hat and he starts playing for the Tigers. Yeah, it's true. True. Miss that. Um, all right, we go to NHL. Yeah, so you <laughs> you want to start yeah. things off, off with, with some Anaheim news. Ducks talk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Drysdale making his NHL debut tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to start it off with them. Um, no, I mean, hey, I, I will say this, oh. though. If you want to start about the Ducks, I will say this. They have quite the prospects. They're looking all right. They have, they have a, lot of, a lot of prospects. Don't they also have Sam Steele in there? Yep. Yep. Sounds I mean, obviously yeah. Zegris is there. Mm-hmm. If they, yeah, they'll have a couple more kind of bottom finishes over the next two years, probably. So yeah, yeah they, can some of these guys come up so they can help John Gibson out a little bit. I think you got to trade John Gibson. Oh. Honestly, how Gibson, old is Gibson? I, like twenty nine. He's, he's getting late twenties now. Yeah, I think you can get a lot of uh, back that can help your your future, and I think. Like when when is Anaheim going to be good again? Like two years, with three, the amount of maybe prospect four? capital they're going. Like at worst four, mm-hmm. right? So at now, worst, yeah. that puts them at thirty-one. No, you can't yeah. be trading John Gibson. I don't know. They have uh, Lucas Dostal going in. Um, yeah, Dostal's fine. He like, can stay down there for a little bit. No, I know, I know. But like Gibson, honestly, like if he had a more competent team around him, you would almost call John Gibson a top ten goaltender in the league. It may be a top he, five. I'd already say he's a top ten goaltender. Yeah, he's played like yeah, it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like you can, depending on how you fill out the list, you can definitely call him. Not a top the last ten. two years, but before that. Yeah, but like, if, if, like I said, if you have a team around him that makes him look a little bit better, um, that well, that I guess helps him a little bit more. Should be the better uh, way to put it. Um, you you could easily make an argument for for top ten. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how easy it is right now because they're just so bad. Because it's not even the yeah. defensive side of the puck that they're struggling. It's the fact that they can't get more than a goal support for Gibson mm-hmm. in most cases. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. We let off with ducks. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot more than I expected. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I appreciate that boys, but uh, Jamie Drysdale, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe some more offense from the point starting tonight. That's true. Anyway. That would help. Um, First power play immediately. Yeah. Cole Clayton question mark. <laughs> Not Cole Clayton. <laughs> Um, actually, I wanted to start off with the Canucks because I remember a couple weeks ago we were trashing them and saying that they might finish at the bottom of the North. Yep. Um, and Ottawa might pass them, but they've gone on a little bit of a streak, eh? Back yep. to Demko's looking real good. Um, they've got some some defense, some timely scoring. Um, yeah, I'm liking their game. Without Pedersen as well. That's one of the True. big points, too. Mm-hmm. So imagine when they get him back. That would be nice. Yep. Well, we're just all really full of it when it comes to the, the Canucks today, aren't we? Well, <laughs> Complete. Everyone's just dropping. That, that would be great. 
everything's happy. <laughs> Feel free to expand, kids. It's a podcast. What you're supposed to do in this situation is dive into what you would like to see from the Canucks or what you There's enjoy seeing. There's gonna be some so, rust midway. You're gonna you're gonna see some rust in the middle. <laughs> you're gonna see. Um, I'm I'm still not sold on these guys. I don't know. I still don't think they have the defense to to uh, go on any playoff run, let alone maybe even make the playoffs. Bro, they got Jimmy VC. What more do you need? Dude, yeah. I mean, they're, they said they're going to give him a shot to fulfill his potential, his unfulfilled potential. I don't oh. know what that means. Maybe pull, put him with, like, I don't know, Patterson or somebody. But I guess. I don't know. Their defense outside of Hughes is very underwhelming. I, I watch Alex Edler. And I don't like what I see at all. Like, I'll just watch him when he's away from the puck. And I'm like, you're not, you don't look very interested. <laughs> and when you come close to the puck, you don't make the right play. Right. And, oh, wait, I'm watching Tyler Myers do the same thing. <laughs> and, oh, okay. I kind of liked the Myers signing when it happened, too, uh, which is sad because he, well, I think most of us did. Well, no, the common thought, I remember this, was that uh, he was an overpay. And everyone thought he was Five years, 30? I think it was like six mil a year. This uh, I don't I don't remember what it was. I don't have enough time for the, that kind of information. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, look at you, good Paul. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't really believe it either. I mean, like there was the, we were just so disappointed like last week or last time we talked because the expectation was higher than this for the Canucks mm-hmm. um, because they they were. Obviously, losing some a few key pieces, but I think a lot of us and I think a lot of Canucks fans expected uh, quite a bit from Thatcher Dem- Demko, uh, which he's now showing. I mean, his save percentage I think was nine twenty. I think I saw that earlier today, uh, which is which is not bad. Let's put it that way. Considering how he started too, like he was down in the like probably mid eighty or eight hundreds, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He did not have a great start at all, but. No. But Thatcher Demko is good. Um, there's, there's no denying that. But my issue is exactly like yours, Corey. It's just on the blue line. And, I mean, you can get away with it a little bit in this North Division this year because every single team nearly has the exact same issue. Yeah. That's why the Oilers are doing well. Uh, that's why the Leafs, I mean, they've been skidding and they can afford to skid because they built up such a lead. Um I mean, that's why the Jets are doing well. And everyone's like, holy smokes, look at the Jets. I'm, I'm a believer in the Jets. <laughs> Fucking why? Like, yeah, great. they have a lot of depth up front, but they also have no defensemen. Like, but they're just built to the division this year. Yeah. And that's kind of the reality of it. And they also have a guy by the name of Connor Hellebuck who masks a lot of issues uh, on a regular night-to-night basis. And you could argue should get a Vesna. But, <laughs> like, it's just... I don't know. They're just running into a similar situation that a lot of other teams are, and so I think they're they're bound to run into some good games. And I mean, when they beat the Leafs back to back, that was that's big. That was a big one. That for me anyway uh, was, was being able to take two in a row off them in both two goal games. I think so. I, I I don't know that I believe in them, but hey, they're playing better, and that's that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's not a case of. Too little, too late. There's still lots of time to get up into that top four position that you need to get to playoffs. I just think that, to, to both of you guys' points, just too much inconsistency. And I just don't feel like even their offensive guys 
haven't put up the crazy scoring numbers that most of these other teams have had. Like there's there's no Matthews, there's no McDavid, there's like there's if you look at NHL.com and the leaders in, in stats, like it's mostly the Canadian players. It's Shifley and Connor and I mentioned Matthews and McDavid. You look at Vancouver and you'd think I mean I mean Pedersen's been injured, albeit. Uh Brock Besser, like JT Miller, they have a lot of offensive talent. I just haven't heard a lot of that those names hit the score sheet as much as other Canadian teams. And that's when it comes down to it, you need your big boys producing at a level that is comparable to those top teams. And right now, I feel like that is part of the issue. The defense is so-so. And for Demko to to have a run as of late, you know, it was... He kind of needed one. Absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, you were, we were talking about them being the very bottom. So Literally. It's, it's so... They're still in the hunt for that, probably the four seed. I think... I don't know about you guys. I'd probably lock in the Leafs. I'd lock in the Oilers, and I'd lock in the Jets. And at this point, who's going to get that four seed? Mm-hmm. That is, to me, one of the main questions left in the North Division. But yeah, um, like we talk about the the missed signings um, that they could have had this off season. You know, not bringing back uh, Tyler Toffoli and Chris Tana. Like those two alone could solve a lot of issues, right? Like the nights where they're not scoring enough, you know, Tyler Toffoli can provide on a second or third line that you haven't been getting depth scoring from. And the nights where your goalie needs some help and some somebody to eat pucks in front of them. That's where Chris Tano comes in. Also, I, I just got a message saying you've hit the maximum number of page giveaway or page views on Elite Prospect. And I didn't know that was a thing. And was <laughs> what bad. have you been doing lately? Just, just, just elite prospecting elite everybody. Prospect, apparently, yeah, apparently that's I tough, man. You're gonna have to, hit, you're gonna have to reset your cash. I hit my quota, hockey DB. Here I come. Or go you're secret mode, to, or yeah, or just you know turn on the VPN, <laughs> pretend you're somewhere else. <laughs> Whatever, right, man. Do what I, you got to do. It is what yeah, it is. Yeah. I can't um, my Canucks. Yeah, well, anyway, any, yeah. I was, I was gonna say something. I can't remember. Um, I don't know what it was about. Okay. I got I got distracted by elite prospects. VPNs. Sorry. I apologize. VPNs. Anyway, uh, you know who doesn't have trouble scoring? New York Rangers. Did you guys watch that game last night? Did you see the highlights? I, I watched some of it because I couldn't believe they didn't have coaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the story coming in, and it wasn't quite the story coming out, eh? That's the winning formula. It's got to be. Yeah. That has to be the absolute, and I mean absolute, toughest thing for Brian Elliott to be dealing with this year. <laughs> uh, like past COVID. Obviously, everyone's dealing with COVID. Um, but the next thing would be Brian Elliott coming in to start a game against a team without any coaches. They had yep. to call up the minor league coaches who literally just probably stood by the doors and opened them and they just rolled four lines, old school house league hockey. Chris Drury's back there like, <laughs> I don't know. I got players, but what do we do with them? Um, I got players. And fucking Mika Zabinijaz is like, hey, Brian Elliott, you stink. <laughs> That was wild. Hey, you, Connor, Carter Hart. Yeah. That was wild, dude. Yeah. I I still believe in Hart, though. Do you? This year? I, I see the numbers on the screen. I, I know they're not great. But, like, wh- what do you do, though? Like, what is the what's the replacement? In this year where trading, who knows what the deadline's going to be? Are you bringing in... A name, or like it's got to be money in, money out because most teams are cap strapped. 
And like, I just don't know what the solution is if you're not confident in either guy. Jonathan Bernier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a name. He's, well. Don't sleep on Jonathan Bernier. If I could pull up my elite prospects, I'd tell you <laughs> save percentage. But no, I playing think the best like hockey nine, of his career. I think he has like a nine nineteen. But no, that doesn't save you if you're the Flyers. You're not making him your starter and being confident about it in a playoff run. No, um, Carter Hart's not the problem. Let's just let's put that to bed. I don't think it is either. No. Carter Hart. Carter Hart is far from the issue. Um, Carter Hart's going to be the solution more often than he's going to be the problem. Uh, he's kind of getting the the Connor Hellebuck treatment right now, um, in the sense that he has he gotten a lot of help ever, like this year, and this year's just different because like COVID's a real thing. Obviously, I mean, ask the Rangers coaching staff. Like it, it's it's for real, and how players and how teams kind of can react and adapt to it is obviously an aspect that I don't think um, just people who enjoy sports throw in enough. And, and some players, some teams just aren't uh, going to respond to it the same way. I mean, you also got to remember this team's like, what, four games above 500. Like, they're, they're still winning games. I mean, they, they'd be doing pretty well in the North Division. I, I think oh, yeah, they'd have sure. games in hand on almost everybody, and they would be in an opportunity to make playoffs. They just beat the the Islanders tonight. Just got that notification. So the Flyers did. Yes, they good four for them. three. Carter Hart got the win. You love to see it. Well, they you, write the ship after last night's. You shit don't show. love to see a well, yeah, three goals against. <laughs> yeah. Being completely honest, you, but, you don't love to see that. The thing is, they, is, is they, the East good? Ah, uh, maybe a. Name me a cup contender outside the Islanders. I mean, it's not bad. Is it Washington? Uh, I don't know. Are they? You think they're going on a run? They I, haven't been good. I don't, I don't believe in Pittsburgh. No. Here's Boston. what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about, about the East. All right, go for it. You have a lot of teams in this group that are all built for playoffs. The Islanders, the Bruins, maybe the Flyers, Caps. Don't say it. I mean, you even say the Penguins. Don't say the Penguins. Maybe. Maybe. No, they've proven over the past couple of years that they're not built for the playoffs. But they also have that fucking Crosby guy, and like that counts for something. Because here's the thing. I guess. Here's the thing. You, would you say, some people may say that the Oilers aren't built for the playoffs. I say they are because they have a Connor McDavid on their team. Same with when the Avs were going up against the Flames as a one versus eight or whatever the hell it ended up being. Yeah. And they had a Nathan McKinnon. And then all of a sudden you do end up having a playoff team. And then, I mean, in the Avalanche world, it's all of a sudden just spiraled. I think this division is a lot better than people give it credit for. And... That's just because it's it's not built in the same way that, for example, we are always exposed to the North Division. The North is built for regular season success. <laughs> the North is not built for teams to do well in the playoffs. It's just not. Like look at look at a team in the North and tell me that they're built to do well in the playoffs. I don't know if I like any of them. No. Mm. We talked about the Leafs last last time we talked and. Uh, 
if they are one of the favorites? Uh, my thing with the Leafs is like, I'm not. They're they're the Padres to me, the San Diego Padres. I'm not going to believe it until it, you it actually happens. Yeah, until you prove it. That was the Caps for years as well. Mm-hmm. Before they hit, it was just show me what you can do in the playoffs. The Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA, show me what you can do in the playoffs. There are those teams, and we talked about this before. I think there's guys that get you to the playoffs, and then there's guys that actually play in the playoffs mm-hmm. and make a difference. And like you said, Lance, like get your stars in there, and who the hell knows what happens? Montreal beat Philly last year, mm-hmm. and Carey Price. We talked about him. He could steal a series. You have guys on your team like that, like a Crosby, like a McDavid. You just never know. There's the team in the North that might be built for the playoffs. We do- Who? Montreal. Montreal. No. Out of the North? I'm telling you. Just just because they have big defensemen doesn't mean they're built <laughs> for the playoffs. They have one of the deepest forward groups in the North. They have... They have the, I they mean, have the losing top, Ben Sherratt's going to hurt them. They have the most top nine guys. <laughs> But okay, I want you to just like go through past cup winning teams and find me a team where they didn't need 12 forwards on a nightly basis. The Dallas Stars are a perfect example. They didn't win, but they were there. Mm. So it's not like the greatest thing to look at when you see, like you said, they have 13 top nine forwards in Montreal. I think the Ben Sherratt thing kind of hurts them. If he gets back in playoff in time for playoffs, then that changes things. But Romanov's gonna kind of get elevated there. Um, but that might be like the one that I look at. I'm like, yeah, like they can play everyone in the North tough. They have a guy in net that can steal them a series, and they're just built in, in a way that could work in playoffs. I know it's just because like it's not just because I say that I believe in in the Habs. Yeah, there's like legitimate proof behind it. But back to Carter Hart. <laughs> Okay. Don't give up on Carter Hart. No, I believe no. it. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody's given up on Carter Hart. I just think I think Brian Elliott is washed, and I think uh, I think he needs to go. I don't think he's getting the numbers that he should be because he came in to help out Carter Hart if he stumbled. Like you bring in uh, Brian Elliott, who is a backup on most teams and maybe even a starter on some teams, right? Yeah. He's proven but that, yeah. He he he. Uh, he's not working out there. Would the Flyers be better off if they had I don't know Jake Allen as a backup? Well, of course they would. Hmm. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, we talk about Jake Allen being one of the best backups in the league. Nice. Philadelphia <laughs> is just it's just kind of meh, but so it's tough to tell because Montreal has better defensemen. I think, but mm-hmm. they have bigger defensemen built for the playoffs. Am I right, Lance? I mean, you can you can rib me now. It's fine. I I'm telling you what's going to happen. That the Habs are going to make playoffs, and then we're going to have this conversation when they're starting to knock teams out. All right, Guarantee get ready it. for your Save June playoff preview. Guarantee it. <laughs> Save your date. All right. Um, interesting article from Frank Frank Saravalli. Um, the um, contract between the NHL and the CHL. Uh, to keep the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds in the CHL as opposed to the AHL. Um, that came up last season, and there was an extension of a year for this um, this season because of COVID, and it was just weird, and they didn't have time to renegotiate. But it will be 
negotiated again after this season. I ask you your guys' thoughts on, you know, some of the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds kind of lighting up the AHL right now. Like, I have in my notes here Seth Jarvis, Quentin Byfield, and the Zade Wisdom guy. Those are 18-year-olds, and they're putting up those kind of numbers with, like, you know, in the AHL, and there's a bunch of 19-year-olds kind of going off. Um, do you think they should, uh, the NHL should renegotiate and get these young kids um, playing some professional hockey at a, at a younger age as opposed to maybe going back for another year or two in the CHL? Hmm. Zade Wisdom. What a name. Zade Wisdom. He's full of wisdom. <laughs> what a name. Uh, if I'm the CHL, I say, hell no. I want those guys back. You want your star talent. I mean, you're going to have a better product on the ice. I mean, that's one spot. That's one player on a handful of teams that won't, or that's going to take up a spot for a potential younger player that can develop within the WHL or the CHL as a whole. Um, But it's not happening frequent enough where they're taking away from development opportunities. So for for so many reasons, uh, the CHL should make sure that they get their guys back. I keep think, the deal in place. I think the cycle, we talk about junior cycles all the time as well. Those four to five years, teams are built with the youth. They grow up together and then they go for a title run. If you eliminate, you know, the star players and, you know, they get to go play professionally at a younger age, you're just shortening those cycles even more. Those four and five year cycles become three and four year cycles. And then, I mean, I don't know if it makes that much of a difference, but in terms of, again, league status, you know, teams and, and, and whatnot, you want to have as much prolonged success as you can. If you get those guys back in your roster as 19s and 20s, you're setting yourself up, your, your ticket sales, concession, merch, like all that stuff is intertwined. And for teams that don't have the TV contracts, like we talked about with the bubble situation, like they need all the money and all the fans and all that stuff they can get. And if you're getting rid of those star players then it, it affects the bottom line. And that's just my view of things is, again, teams would probably say no to that as well. Right, but so you guys are looking at it from the CHL perspective though, right? And I 100% agree with you. There's no way CHL players are go- or CHL teams are going to want their top players leaving earlier than they have to. But I think the power is in the NHL team's hands right now. And if you're looking at a top first-round prospect, because making that jump to the NHL is, is a huge jump um, coming from junior. If you can have a year or an extra two years of playing lower-level professional in, in the AHL where you know we're proving that 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds can hang around, these first-round guys like uh, Seth Jarvis, um, like Seth Jarvis lit up the league as a 17-year-old, but he's not NHL ready. What's he going to do as an 18-year-old in the CHL? Light it up again? What's he going to learn, right? Like some of these prospects, I think NHL teams are going to look at it and say like, you know, they are going to grow a lot better as a year playing with men at a lower level than having to go back to CHL and just light up another year that they've already done. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And I mean... Yeah, the CA or the NHL might hold more power, but I don't know. Like, there's there, there's two groups that are involved in this. So, as far as I'm aware, it's going to be 50 50, um, and they have to come to a deal <laughs> together. Um, so, I don't know how much the NHL can necessarily strong arm them because, A, why would they? And, B, like, there's two parties involved. So, I mean, maybe just from a stature standpoint, they might. Um, my worry, though, is that when you open that up, it just starts to get abused. And then all of a sudden, 
it starts with a guy like Seth Jarvis, like you mentioned, who maybe doesn't have a ton of room to grow and that's 18-year-old year in, in junior again. And then all of a sudden, anyone that's a first-round pick is going to the A. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's first two rounds. And then it's first three rounds. And then it's anyone who puts up more than a point per game. And it's like, that, I can just see it spiraling very quickly. And that would siphon a lot of players out of the CHL system. I, I just, I have a hard time. Like this, It seems like it's, it's at a comfortable spot now. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be rushed. And I feel like after that 20-year-old season, teams are obviously cap-strapped in normal times, not just the COVID time. So they're, they're looking towards younger players on their entry levels to fill some key roles mm. already. So I feel like that population's already getting opportunities with with teams that are, you know, maybe they shouldn't be there at that stage in their career, but they need to because, hey, I mean, you're making 750. This guy's making 1.5. I'm going to use you as a third or fourth liner. So they're getting the opportunities regardless. And I don't feel like this potential growth of opportunity is really that much beneficial than the current state that it's already in. Even then for the NHL, though, like what's the NHL's benefit out of it if they were to allow this more often? I think better development from your prospects. Playing playing roles that they're not typically used to playing, though? Well, I mean, like for the top ones, like Seth Jarvis is probably getting first, like top six time wherever he is. Quentin Byfield is probably doing the same. Like, I just, I don't know. Some of these 17-year-olds can, like, they kind of hit their CHL ceiling as a 17 or 18 year old, like they're not, if they come back for a 19 year old, they're just going to light it up again. There's not much that they can learn. Right. Like I feel like Dylan Strom is an example where he had a huge 17 year old season and then he just played teenagers for the next two years and didn't really grow much. I feel like if he had the chance to go play men, learn how to, you know, you know, develop his game in other ways other than just dominating that might've helped his progression. And he might've been, you know, a, a, you know, he's, he's an all right player now, but, you know, he might have hit his potential. I don't know. I, I don't know the right answer. I'm just wondering if for certain prospects it, it's an option that's yeah. worth exploring. And maybe maybe you only do it for 19-year-olds. Like, you have to go back for your 18-year-old year, but 19-year-olds. But, like, I'm just wondering at what point, if you're a top prospect and you know you can't make the NHL, but you know you're just going to run through the CHL, you start going over to Sweden or going over to Finland. Like, I don't know if that's an option or not, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I just, I didn't think it I was. Do, I, it was I will say, I do like. I think. I think it's good now. But I'm like, there's just what Frank Cervelli is saying is that there's some people on the inside of the NHL saying, you know, things might be changing here. So I wanted to get your input on it. It just seems like it's going to cripple the the potential for for their admittedly most valued feeder into their league. Yeah, like I, I don't know. It just—I I feel like you're—you're you're, going to lose a, a lot, like over over trickle down over time. Because not everybody is a Seth Jarvis. Not everyone's a Quentin Byfield. Like they might need their 18 year old, their 19 year old year to actually develop. Like there's yeah. there's not that many star star talents that where this is, in my opinion, a, a bigger issue than Frank's making it out to. It's, be. it's an interesting thought, though. Well, of course. Because, well, I mean, obviously, so, like, prospect development's so key. That's the name of the game. But, I mean, like, at what point do you, 
like find other ways because eventually then like 15 year olds are becoming pros (laughs) like like you just keep going earlier and earlier and earlier yeah right and you think that ahl teams might be rushing the process and yeah getting top prospects on their fourth line yeah man that's interesting though that's really interesting good pull good pull anyway that's all I got on NHL. I got some quick hits, but whatever. We've been going long. Let's go to <laughs> some other sports. Yeah, we'll jump over to the NFL side of things. Uh, Russell Wilson, we talked about him last pod, potentially maybe wanting to get dealt. Uh, the list of four teams was out there. One of those teams on the list was the Chicago Bears. And apparently they made themselves an offer for Wilson that got turned down. The offer, reportedly, was three first-round picks a third round pick, and two starting players which were unnamed. If that happened to go through, that would have been the biggest player transaction in recent memory for the NFL side of things. But, I mean, Seahawks are not moving on from Wilson. That just proved it. Hmm. If it was that good, I don't know. I don't know if I wouldn't do it. If you were Seattle? Yeah. Well, obviously they're not, though, because they turned it down. Well, I know, obviously they didn't. But like, if it's legitimately, if that report yeah. is, is what it actually was, does it's a Seattle big call. Still have, does Seattle still have a championship window? Like, Do they have anything I mean, kind of going question, right now or right? on the horizon? Or? The problem is their Legion of Boom has not been there in years, and that's no. what's really been failing them so far. Like Their right. offense is obviously top-notch with Wilson, with DK, with Lockett. Even their running game, Hyde goes in free agency. We'll get to free agency in a second, but their offense is not the problem. It's their defense. Well, it's also their offensive line. Yeah, and that's part their of the reason why Wilson was pissed. Yeah, yeah but and Wilson's also taking heaps upon heaps of money, and so like just for one minute, look at how much you're making against the cap, and then be like, oh, wait, we have 53 guys we got to pay. Yeah. The fuck? Well, like, in this year where cap went down like $20 million, everyone was re- redoing their deals that's a, to make cap room. That's interesting, though, that the Seahawks wouldn't... If that was a deal, I don't know. That's hard to pass. I guess yeah. if you're Pete Carroll, you're 70 years old, you just sign a new long-term deal, and you're like, who's my backup? Geno Smith? Who are we playing a quarterback if it's not Russell Wilson? Well, Do I really, really want to be here at 70 years old with a team that's not even close? I guess... If I'm in management, I don't really give a damn True. because at some point you have to worry about the future. You see it in sports all the time. People hang on to guys for way too long, and then they just kind of crumble the organization, and it takes forever for them to come back. Yeah, I'm not saying that's what happens here, but like I don't know. <laughs> the smoke it, is, is flurrying it's from that fire. It's interesting, yeah. Uh, Dak Prescott, he signed his massive deal. Four years, 160 with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he's going to be back for week one from that terrible ankle injury that happened there in week four or five. This deal was bound to happen, but the Cowboys and Jerry Jones just dragged their feet through it all. This is a mess. Do you like the deal? Like, Does no. Dak deserve it or no? I mean, he did until he fucking broke himself in half. How are you going to give a guy who's fucking broken $40 million a year? You don't know how he's going to recover. There's going to be some injuries early. <laughs> yeah. you, you're going to see some more ankle problems early. <laughs> but, like, Corey, am I out to lunch on that? Like, I'm, like, I, in what sport does someone get hurt in a contract year and then they get 40 mil per? Um, 
Like I, I, I genuinely I can't, can't come up with it. No, I can't one. I can't think of one. Like nothing, com- like comparable to that. Obviously, forty million is not the number, but like the percentage of mo- like money that they're making. Sure. Also, how, like even how? healthy, is he that good though? Uh, he he was know. on pace to, he was on pace to do some damage last year. Oh yeah, he time. really was, and okay. just shows how like okay. So he goes down week four, f- week five. Dalton goes in. That team crumbled. Zeke was terrible. Mm. The offensive line, the troubles were so bad. The defense, not something that Prescott can control, but that was the one of the worst in the league. Everybody was targeting that defense on fantasy purposes. Mm-hmm. The team completely crumbled after Dak got hurt. But that makes, that, that, that makes me wonder, and I might have jumped the gun, sorry for interrupting. Okay. Uh, but that might make me wonder, not necessarily that Dak was masking the problems because he's only one player, albeit an important one, but one player it makes you wonder if that wasn't just going to come anyway. The unraveling that was happening, the defense being porous, the offensive line struggling, Zeke dropping balls, like yeah, like nothing that none of anything there. Dak has influence in none of it. No, maybe handoffs. Yeah, I'll give you handing the ball to Zeke. But the way that he was playing, the way that offense was humming, mm-hmm. albeit with their offensive problems that got exponentially worse, um, that offense was making up for a lot of defensive mistakes, and they were yeah. staying in games because of that offense. And him, if that's what we're going off of. It's just interesting because you, when we when you start having a debate like this, it makes me realize that you probably shouldn't be paying a quarterback $40 million. But that is... <laughs> that he's playing the game. Like, that is the game yeah, in the NFL right. right now. I'm sorry. I mean, Matt Stafford, That's Joe Flacco, a- doesn't matter who you are. If you got, you know, an arm, a heartbeat, you're getting $10 million. Yeah. Andy Dalton signed a one-year deal, $10 million to play in Chicago. Did you guys see the Arash Madani conversation with Tim McAuliffe? No. About quarterback no. payments? No. no. Corey? Oh, man. No. Okay, this is interesting. Um Essentially, Arash kind of went a little extreme with it, but the point that he made is an interesting one. You kind of go back and look at the teams who have had success in recent memory and how much money they're making. Yeah. Uh, and one of the big examples was Joe Flacco, like you mentioned. Joe Flacco wins a Super Bowl, gets his pay bump, is terrible. Done. Uh, and then Baltimore hasn't done much since. Um, Wilson, Russell Wilson, they won before he got paid. Yep. And now they haven't done much since. Yep. Um, Tom Brady, on the flip side, has always taken pay cuts to pay other players, mm-hmm. and they win. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, he brought up, and I think I agree with him, is the exception where you can pay him whatever you need to pay him. And you're probably still going to be fairly competitive, regardless of who's around. He might be that kind of guy right now. Um, but even then, he was doing well and succeeding, and he hasn't really gotten paid. I don't remember Newton before, like in, in his Carolina days. Was he making big money before MVP cam? I don't remember that. Carolina but. didn't win, though. No, but they were close. But they didn't win. Sure. I and, feel like a goalie in NHL, though, like, it's the same problem that the Montreal Canadiens are trying to figure out is how they pay uh, Carey Price, a.k.a. their quarterback, so much money and have the money to disperse around the locker room 
to have a competitive team. Yeah, it's like, kind of want, it's similar. If you look, if you look at the Stanley Cup winners, what are some goalies that have been making over five mil? Like you have Bennington won, and he was on his entry level. Yeah, uh, Matt Murray won too. He was on his entry level. Now Flurry was making quite a bit, but still, like, I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty similar situation. What's that? He, he's on a cheap contract. I don't like. He's not making as much Vasilevsky. as he should be. He yeah. was. He was on he, with him and Bishop. You're talking? No, when they won the cup, just like last year. Mm. He was he not on the first of his big deal? I just can't remember how much he was on, but but no, the the, the point still stands, and it's interesting that way because it's similar in the sense that like for goaltenders, the theory has changed, right? Before it was you need a number one guy and you ride the hell out of them. They play a lot of games, they take you where you need to go, and now it's one A one B. You need two guys, you balance um, load management, quote unquote, for goaltenders, and then you run your better one, whoever's hotter, into the playoffs. And it's kind of similar to how the game maybe is changing or maybe has always been this way and people haven't picked up on it in football where, like, maybe you need to plan for, like, five-year cycles of your quarterback. It's an interesting theory. Like, I yeah. I think it's hard to do because fans get so loyal to a guy and they want to believe in that guy and they want to, you know, support him. Well, Rodgers is another one. Rodgers gets paid. is only one one. Yeah, yeah. Look at... Two other examples. They they pay their quarterbacks. They're both gone in, in recent seasons. Carson Wentz mm-hmm. with Philly, signed with a big deal. After he's been hurt, he got hurt in that Rams game a few years back. He hasn't been the same. Yeah. And we just talked about Jared Goff as well. Rams signed him to a big deal. He hasn't even started Nothing. his contract yet. He's gone. Yeah. Two quarterbacks, change of scenery already. Like yeah. I the more that I, I sat and thought about that conversation, the more I think that there might be something to it. Like I really do. I think you need to find guys. I mean, if you can find a Tom Brady that's willing to take pay cuts, then Lord bless that player, and you should probably treat them very, very well. But uh, maybe Patty Mahomes will do that as he gets older and older in his career too. Become that. But the other way to supplement it, if players don't want to do that, is that you just plan for five-year cycles of quarterbacks. Yeah, especially if they're not once-in-a-generation talent. It's interesting. Uh, Drew Brees, he is a generational talent. Uh, he retired after 20 years in the league, 15 in New Orleans. He saved the franchise. He came there from, from San Diego Chargers. And, I mean, after Hurricane Katrina, everything that happened down there, he brought them a title. He gave them continued success for so many years. And, uh, yeah, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer without a doubt. And I didn't realize he already has a deal with NBC to be a part of their broadcast team alongside Mike Tirico. Now, Sunday Night Football, they still have Al Michaels. They still have Chris Collinsworth. Al Michaels is 76 years old. Collinsworth is 62. And Al Michaels on the last deal, or last year of his deal, I should say. Hmm. Tariko, apparently Tariko and Michaels are very tense these days. Michaels knows that Tariko is coming for his job. I wonder now if Collinsworth is feeling a little bit of pressure as well. With Breeze in the picture, not we don't know if he's the same type of analyst like Tony Romo, but mm. Tarico and Breeze could potentially be the new faces of Sunday Night Football in not too distant future. Corey, who's Mike Tarico. Who's Mike Tarico? What? I don't know who Mike Tarico is. He was oh, on Monday on. Night Football oh, on ESPN oh, Forever, and I you know Mike Tarico. The face before the name. Yeah, you know the face. Damn. Um. Yeah. I mean, Al Michaels, he's 
Bring a legendary, but his day's coming. Jeez, 76 years old? Holy. Well, I guess because he did the friggin' miracle on ice, I should have known he's getting up there in age yeah. <laughs> Not his um, first egg and spoon race. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, it, it all makes sense. I think his days are coming, and you have here, this is his last year on his contract. I mean, yeah, I think, I think the writing's on the wall for that duel. I'm glad you have something that I have no idea. Doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's like who the hell knows what TV networks are doing? <laughs> like, yeah, ever. I mean, they hired Rome off the street and put him right with Nance. Like, you know, like things happen. I mean, everything changes. It, it feels like in a minute. So yeah, who who knows what's actually going to happen? Um, that's fair. I, I like I Mike found Tirico, I will say I like Mike Tirico. Me too. I like his call. Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee would be an absolute cannon. Oh, Could you imagine him uh, doing color? Oh, man, no, that'd be fun. Yo, it'd be fun, but it would what? not last for very long, I don't think. He should get on the XFL. He, he did it, though, didn't he? Mm, he did it for a game. Uh, yeah, I think he did. A yeah. season ago. Yeah, so. I think he did. You're right. You're right. Um, he got chirped online. He should what? be doing XFL, though, for sure. One guy that actually, um, Akeem Tlaib, he used to be a cornerback mm-hmm. for New England and Tampa Bay, I believe. He was doing some Fox games this year. I was listening to him. Like, he's a different cat. Like mm-hmm. he just, he's real, and he like shouts guys out on the broadcast. Like he, he's not your traditional analyst, and I like he's kind of growing on me. But I'm gonna need more of him this season to really like be invest. I don't know. Like he's another guy though. Like brings a whole different element to broadcasting, and that's what honestly, like you said, TV networks are kind of going towards is these yeah. guys that provide a whole different than just your you know X's and O's and type. You stuff. can thank the NBA on TNT for that. Hundred percent. Yep. 100%. Um, Patriots, talk about free agency quickly. They spent a bunch of money that I don't know about you guys. I just didn't expect it. I think these guys are, that's not the quote unquote Patriot way of doing their business. But I mean, they they spent on Hunter Henry. They spent on Jonu Smith, uh, Matt Judon on the defensive side of the ball, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar uh, as wide receivers. The whole offense is like revamped around Cam Newton, who's back for a, a one-year deal. Um do you like it? Do you, do you think Cam can do well with these now two top tight ends? Like, are they going back to Gronkowski Hernandez? Just uh, not without the, the bad stuff? Did you, yeah. Did you see the uh, the board of the last five highest spenders in free agency and how their results I, were in playoffs? I have seen. I know the Jaguars were on there. I know the Jets were on there. The Jets were on there twice and the Dolphins were on there. Dolphins were on so there. So let's not get tied up in that graphic. If anyone's seen that graphic, cool it. That's that's a graphic that is supposed to make the Patriots look bad because it has the Jets and the Dolphins on it as mm-hmm. three of the five spots when it was the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era. Um, they tried to do something. Heaven forbid they didn't. <laughs> uh, with this specific example, uh, they're obviously better. Obviously, mm-hmm. like they got the two best tight ends out of free agency. They they picked up uh, a big help on defense with Judon, and they probably found what uh, I, I don't even know. I can't. I was gonna say number one wide receiver, but, but like, did they with Aguilar? I don't think so. Like, no, they just found like a two A, two B, and then they already have two C, two D, two E, two F. Like it's very standard and typical for what the Patriots do on on their wideouts. So, um, I was surprised that they got two tight ends. I will say that. But Cam, I mean, going back to his days in Carolina, him and and Greg Olson were fantastic together. That was his arguably yeah. his number one receiver. The weird thing with that though is that he 
because it's like, okay, are they going back to the, the offense of the Gronk and, and Hernandez era, like you said? I, I don't know that Cam's necessarily that kind of guy that no, runs an offense like that, right? But so. he's more so a passer towards the middle of the field than he is on the outside. True. At least, in, like, his accuracy, he's got the power, but his accuracy is not there to go mm-hmm. deep very mm-hmm. often. You got the speed guys in Bourne, in Aguilar, that can go deep. And they're going to go deep from time to time. But I think this offense is going to be built through Cam and his running ability and through these two tight ends in the middle of the field. Yeah, the tight ends. And that's ends perfect for what huge. Cam wants, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that. I like Judon on the, ba- on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Jalen Mills also as a corner. They just spent a bunch of money. It just was so weird to see. <laughs> that's true. First day of free agency. Thoughts, Corey? Um, yeah. No, well, sorry. So last season, it was basically Brady's team that they put Cam Newton in, right? So that's why it didn't work. So now they flipped the switch and they've started to run things from their new quarterback as opposed to trying to get the quarterback into old schemes, right? Yeah. They kind of took took Cam Newton out of uh, the, the year previous Tom Brady team like you mentioned and they put him back in the Tom Brady team of like almost a decade ago like they yeah. basically just rebuilt that team and are like here maybe this one will work for you okay interesting uh-huh. only two uh, other moves I really want to touch on for free agency um, this one came down today Kenyon Drake running back for Arizona formerly of Arizona he's going to Las Vegas Raiders teaming up with Josh Jacobs as a one-two punch which I think is a fantastic move if you're the Raiders fans like that's more offensive talent. Apparently, they're going to use Drake in a kind of a jack-of-all-trade role. He's going to be pass-catching. He's going to be doing a bunch of different stuff. And now Chase Edmonds is the lead guy in Arizona. If you play any sort of fantasy football, when Edmonds got his opportunity in the starter's role, he was fantastic. And now, I mean, he's going to be lead guy. Yeah. So he's a guy, you know, it's early, fantasy-wise, but... Target mm-hmm. him. Like he's gonna be get, getting some really good touches with an improved offense in Arizona. Yeah, it's the only tricky thing is that Kyler's still so mobile, like from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. Um off the front, it's like, okay, it's tough because Kyler can run in from inside the five where typically a lot of teams will hand off. Um but no, like I I've always read and heard, especially last year just how everyone was raving about Chase Edmonds in Arizona and how he should be the number one guy, but it just never has panned out. Even when he was there and uh, David Johnson was there. Yeah. And everyone was saying, Chase Edmonds is good. Like, he he should be the guy. And he just wasn't the guy, and now he is. So, Chase Edmonds, time to pony up. We'll see what happens. And last one for me, uh, Trubisket. Trubisky is going to Buffalo to be back up to Josh Allen. That was a little what bit surprising. I did not see that. Yeah, that was That's a, a one, one year deal this afternoon came down. Um, provide some protection for Allen. I mean, they play kind of similar styles, both mobile quarterbacks. Um, yeah, I mean, Chicago didn't want to pay up $100 million to Drabisky, and I don't blame them. So he's going to go and, uh, you know, pull a Jameis Winston, be a backup, and see what happens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. That, that, that doesn't seem like the best destination you could go. Like, like, why wouldn't you try and get into Houston? Like, the bar is so incredibly well, low like, for Trubisky, or not for Trubisky, for the for the Texans. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you go to them and be like, dude, just let's let me play there. I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll play for five bucks. They spent their money on Terod Taylor. I know him and his but punctured like, tr- lung. Trubisky, yeah, right. 
Trubisky should have been there first, though. Like he should have gotten Texans management on the phone and be like, "Hey, I want to come play there," and they'd be like, "Wow, okay, we're in." Yeah, and I'll take five dollars a game <laughs> because like your bar's already going to be super low. There's nothing worse that can happen. Yeah. Well, the whole Watson situation is a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we won't touch that one right now, Oof. but. Uh, uh, we'll switch things over to the NBA side of things quickly. Uh, two questions that I have for you. James Harden of the Brooklyn Nets. He now has 140-point games in his career. He's only one of four guys in the history of the league to do that. Can either of you name the other three gentlemen that make up this list? Hmm. Michael Jordan. That is one. Let's go. On the board. Nice. Good job. On the board. Good job. Uh, Want to go again? Uh, I, I, I feel like it's wrong for some reason, but I got to go LeBron. That is incorrect. Mm. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Strike one. That's all you have to guess. Life. No, I kind of want Corey to you just Corey run to the board just, here. Oh, jeez. I like we'll this game. All day. I like this game. Okay. Try it. Oh, no. How many um, other players can you name? We're going to find out, aren't we? They have... 140-point games? They're, is there anybody playing right now? No, that is... that is. Oh, okay, not I'm fucked. No. No, no, no these are players. names that you you will know. Absolutely no. Oh, okay. Well, I can't... I still can't sift through. My sifter's not very good for that. Uh, can I throw... Did Larry Bird do it? He did not do no? it. No? What no. about Wilt? Wilt Chamberlain is the other one. Yeah. That's, that's two. Sorry, there's one more. Yeah, there's one say. more. One Magic more. Johnson? No, no. no. Think, think point score... Think he's just thinking basketball. First time Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> think what position? Uh, he's a shooting guard. Oh, okay, so not Shaq. <laughs> no, no, no. He was a teammate of Shaq's. Oh, <laughs> I say oh like that helps. Um, <laughs> Homie, yeah. Okay, you got it. <laughs> did, did, what do you say, Kobe? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Kobe's the other one. Bruh, I was going to be like, hold on a minute. You weren't even going to say it. It wasn't from the Orlando Magic days when Shaq was there, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So those are the only four guys with 40-point career games. That's pretty, or 100-point, 140-point, whatever. Mm -hmm. 140-point games. Yeah, that's it. Go Wilt. Um, 100-point games? (laughs) Not quite. I'll flip that Uh, around. Wilt had a few. He did. Uh, one, I think. He did one. Um, okay, Jazz. I, I wonder about the Jazz and I wonder about the Suns. What do okay. you guys think about title contenders? Not just the West, but also the East. I think the list is probably like six deep. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the Jazz or the Suns in that mix. And right now, Jazz are first in the West. Suns are two in the West. Mm-hmm. What What's your guys' thoughts on... On the Jazz, they've been playing fantastic in the regular season. Suns have won like seven in a row or something like that. It's mm-hmm. insane. Do you guys have them in that realm? Are they a tier down? Well, I had the Jazz there last year. <laughs> so, true. yes, That's I'm true. still there. That's true. I'm still there with the Jazz. They're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, Donovan Mitchell obviously kind of leads the way. Uh, Rudy Gobert is... Is a top flight, I think, or proving to be close to a top flight uh, big in the league, uh, just considering what he does on both ends of the floor. It's not flashy by any means, but it, I think he drags, it feels like 30 rebounds a game, um, which goes a long way. I don't know if it just is what has happened recently, but it feels like every time I see the Jazz playing, Rudy Gobert's all over, just literally 
grabbing a rebound and passing. And then he he's runs down a, to the other end, grabs yeah. the rebound and passes. He's got a lot of big beef. Yeah, a lot literally. of beef. Uh, Bogdanovich has, is a key piece to what they do there. Jordan Clarkson's fit in nicely. Uh, Conley's played fantastic. Mike Conley is playing exceptionally well. There's just there's a lot to like on this. Don't they have? Oh man, he's like one of my favorite players for no good reason. Niang, don't they have Niang? George Niang. Yeah, I think, so. I think they got George Niang. That sounds right. Who doesn't Who? want George? Yeah, George Niang, dude. He is there. And Jingles, Joe Ingles. That is correct, yeah. bro. Like, what more do they? This team's so good. Yeah, he, uh, he's making no money too. Six fifty. Who Jingles? No, <laughs> or George Niang. Niang. Yeah, I like Jingles too. But no, I I, I like the Jazz <laughs> last year. So I obviously like them again this year. You're sticking with them. Uh, what about the, the Suns? What do you the feel? Suns, the Suns, I don't know. Eh. Like I, I think they got, they're too young. Like they got to go through some hurdles. A lot of things to like. Uh, Chris Paul's doing some good things there. Yeah, obviously, uh, and uh, they're going to learn a lot this year. Um, regardless of how they finish this regular season, how they go into playoffs, they're going to learn a lot, and uh, you'll probably see even a bigger step next year. I would expect. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Corey, any thoughts on those guys? Because they're probably going to be playing the Lakers or the Clippers in that second round. Hey, like mm. you got to imagine they get past that first round. But that those are two. One of those two they're going to draw in that second round, and that's going to be a really experienced team that's just going to grind them out over a seven game series. So I'm not sold on the Suns, but I'll be there with Lance. I mean, I remember him hyping up the Jazz last season yeah. in the bubble. And they but, upset me. And they didn't yeah. win anything. And now I didn't but, do it this year. No, you didn't. Oh. Uh, you talk about sorry, I don't I don't know too much about the Jazz, but you talk about in the NHL of those teams that can win in the regular season but aren't playoff teams like the Leafs. Would the Jazz be one of those? Uh no. Or just unproven yet. I I think the the problem with the Jazz and the problem with the majority of the NBA is that there's only so many superstars. Yeah. And you need a superstar to win. Uh in the NBA. It's just kind of a fact. So if if the Jazz are going to do it, Donovan Mitchell needs to become a superstar in this league, like an undisputed superstar. And I wouldn't even say he's there yet. No, no, not like he he's getting close. He's an all star, but I, I mean the way he scores, like the way he takes over games. If you <laughs> if you ever find yourself sitting down and legitimately watching a Jazz game, <laughs> I have done it a couple times last year because I was invested. Yeah. Um, the way he takes over games though is, is superstar ish. Yeah. But he's just not that level yet and you need to be in order to win the NBA it's just you have to in the bubble he, him and Jamal Murray I mean they were fantastic yeah. in, in different ways for sure for very sure. similar guys and uh, Denver I mean they're another potential title team I mean when Murray is on they're a completely different team Jokic is always on it yeah. feels like I was going to say you have Jokic so they need he's a superstar yeah Jokic is the best big in the league right they need yes I would say so yeah at the moment and they need they need a Murray though like they need some more consistency mm-hmm. it really hurts losing Jeremy Grant I mean Jeremy Grant's putting up some great numbers in Detroit considering but, how good he's been this year yeah. yeah you realize just how bad it was to not bring him back I 100% agree uh, well switching over quickly to baseball Lance you've got some uh, Blue Jays notes here are you and, freaking out because we're long on time? I, I mean, we are long. and I was I, just wondering if you're freaking out. We're so long. It, it's so long. So whatever hour, you want to talk about 20? baseball, go for it. I'm going to talk all of it. Okay, let's go for it. <laughs> just, to, just to really throw a wrench into things. Uh, now it'll be quick. So the Blue Jays last two days have rolled out a couple lineups that people, fans, uh, and experts are expecting is going to look very similar to their opening day lineup. Uh, it has had Springer at the leadoff spot, hitting first play in center field, 
at two and playing second would be Semyon. Uh, Bobochette hitting three and playing short, obviously. Uh, the short part, I mean, obviously. Three, a little surprising, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then four, Teoscar Hernandez. It, two days ago, he DH'd. And then last game, he played right field, which is the typical split you would see. Number five was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. One day, Rowdy Telez the other day, both playing first. Sixth would be Guriel in left. Seventh would be B- uh, Biggio in th- at third. Eighth was Randall Grichik day one in right field. And then most recently, DHing when Teoscar played in right and Vladdy was out. And number nine was a split between Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk as catcher. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Nothing's ever going to stay the same in baseball. We know that. Uh, but when the team, not being the Blue Jays, is 100% perfectly healthy, is this the most optimal starting lineup? Hmm. I'll say it again. Springer, Semyon, Bichette, Hernandez, Guerrero, Guriel, Biggio, Grichik, Jansen. Because that's the I'm lineup not- that more people leaned into. Yeah, I'm not sold on Bichette on the three spot. I don't know. I just think he would, just as a young, speedy, you know, good hitter, I think he's better in like a two or a five spot, maybe even lead off. I don't know. That's just the one thing that I'm kind of meh. The middle of the order is just like, it's just not proven yet. It's not, there's a lot of potential there, but I'm just not thrilled on it right now. I almost wonder if, because you know what Springer can do, um, he was the World Series MVP. Um, like maybe st- sp- uh, putting him in the three spot just because you know what he can do. He has seasons where he's hit a lot of homers and he's hit for average. Like I just think putting the sure thing at, at the three spot might be a better move. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it, it's it's very deep. I mean, Biggio as your seven and Gritcha as your eight. Like I mean, That's a lot, lot of power would die from. It is. Um, yeah, no, it's a really exciting lineup. And I think, you know, you see what they had last year, just adding Springer and Semyon, like it, you just show just adding two guys can make this lineup lethal. So mm-hmm. I agree with the the sentiment about Biggio. I do agree he should be up higher. I just don't know. What do you do? Are like, are we locked in with, with Simeon at the two spot? Do you put Biggio, who, who batted leadoff in the one hole, do you move Springer to the four to accommodate for B- for Bichette at the three? Like, how does that top four work out? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm just speaking out loud. I just don't know. I, I Biggio can't hit bottom three in this lineup. I I just can't. I can't see it. I don't right. want him to. Right. I if I had to move anybody, I'm probably moving Hernandez down. Personally, mm-hmm. um, right. I also don't love the fact that Hernandez and Grichik are. Part DH, I don't, I don't see Guerrero at first. I know he's splitting with with Rowdy, but I just don't see him at first all the time. I see him in more of a DH role as well, mm-hmm. and I don't know how that works for positioning purposes. If that means you know the right field has to have somebody else in there with, for days that I don't even know what I'm trying to say. But anyways, it's just I I don't see Guriel playing all the time at first, even in a, in a split like that. I, I do see him more as a DH. Guerrero, that, that is. That's what I meant to say. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, and that's the thing. There's always going to be different ways, and, and you're going to have to have guys that come out. So, I mean, say, for example, you have Tay Oscar who comes out for a day. You put Gritchick into right. Vlad goes to DH. 
Telez plays first. That's fair. Um, That's fair. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can kind of match that lineup. That's why it's always such a weird conversation when you have these ones. Um, my my thoughts always been if Mike Trout, the best hitter in planet Earth, hits number two, your best hitter should hit number two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's copycat, but it's proven by his numbers that uh, that is the right spot for a guy of his caliber because you can't really pitch around whoever is hitting two. Uh, you you can potentially get burned in a lot of different ways by pitching around him. So you kind of got to throw to whoever your two hitter is. Uh, so whoever you would think is the best all around hitter and all around offensive weapon should be your two. That's why I would have Springer there. Okay. Um, yeah. Then you get into an interesting question. Okay, does Kevin Biggio lead off this this lineup? Yeah, because he's more of a traditional leadoff hitter from the amount of. Uh, walks he'll take he'll he'll see a lot of pitches uh, and that kind of remedies the the problem of getting him out of the bottom third of the order that we all think exists um, the biggest thing that I noticed with the lineup though is that it has the opportunity to grow into uh, something like Biggio in the top third by the end of the year there's a lot of room for this lineup to grow into a better final product than we see right now but it's interesting um, but yeah that, that would be the biggest move I would make is Springer be hitting to Cavian, uh, Cavan rather, uh, Biggio hitting first, and then like if you had Semyon hitting seven, oh boy, like that's that's a deep seven eight. But I mean, yeah. they have the, that option. Um, the Athletics Jason Stark wrote an article earlier today that I caught wind of. Wrote about how the NL could be in its final year of having pitchers hit. And there were four pitchers that they noted that had interesting milestones that could be coming up. Just want to get your thoughts on each one. Madison Bumgarner with the Diamondbacks has 19 career home runs. He needs at least five this year to tie Bob Gibson and Carlos Zambrano for second in the MLB's expansion era for pitcher home runs at 24. Uh, Will he get to 20? And will he get to 24? Will he hit one home run this year or will he hit five? (laughs) Yes, that's no, it. or both. It's it got to be either 20 or 24. Well, I mean, we'll just say, will he get to 24? Will he get to 20? Will he hit one? Will he hit five? Okay. Corey? Uh, 20, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Arizona doesn't have much going on, so like uh-huh. they might just like throw him out to pinch hit sometimes. To hit that number if he gets close at the end of the season, so I'm a I'm a Andy up. I'm gonna say he gets five. Colby, um, first off, who knew that Carlos Zambrano could rake big time? I, I didn't realize that. I knew he, dingers I seen him, for Zambrano. I, I seen him hit a couple dingers, but I didn't see him see a 24 dingers. Uh huh. That, well, that all one his fact, highlights are just raging in the dugout. yeah. That's all I kind of took all the anger out on dingers. That's I why. So. Yeah. Um, I say he gets to 20. I don't know if he gets to 24. Yeah. I uh, five. It's hard five. to say. He, they're playing a full season this year. They're not playing shortened. So I mean, one sixty-two. You got five at bats in you. Maybe, maybe like Corey says, I don't have much else going on. That might be a a fun fact for the team to to rally behind to get to twenty-four. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he gets there, but I think he gets one for sure. And he continues to hit three sixty-four. That's yeah. fantastic too. Well, that is as a pinch hitter. And his pinch hitter stats, he hits three sixty-four and has a five hundred on base. Oh, so so to Corey's point, he might be pinch hitting quite a bit. Oh yeah. Um, his best season, I believe, he also hit five home runs in that year. Uh, Drew Smiley with the Atlanta Braves, searching for his first career hit. Uh, 
His first at-bat was in June of 2012, so it's been nearly a decade that he hasn't had a hit. He is 0 for 42 in his career, uh, or he's currently 0 for 23. If he goes 0 for 42, he would be the worst hitting pitcher in MLB history since a dude by the name of Randy Tate, who went 0 for 41 in one MLB season. He had one year in his career. It was with the Mets in 75. He pitched and went 0 for 41 at the plate. Here's the question. Will Drew Smiley break the record for the worst hitting pitcher at 0 for 42 or worse? Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that's tough. He might. Well, who, 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 as a pitcher, who hits 41 times in a season? Well, he had 41 at-bats, I guess. It was the 70s. (laughs) Just... He's getting three plate Stuff's appearances wild in the game. Out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I also think he's not going to get a hit. I hope he does because no. that's a tough record. It's if a tough he gets one it. for sure. Merrill Kelly, uh, back to the Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> Imagine he dropped out a butt and legs it out. Oh my god! I, at what <laughs> point do you perfect. start thinking about think doing it? To. You have to. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm probably forty. He's got to go for it. I'm probably going to pull up the Venmo. And find the pitcher that I'm facing and be like, here's 200 bucks. Throw me like 80 miles an hour so I can yeah. bunt it. Uh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll run to second as I do it too. So you can just throw me out. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, back to the D backs. Merrill Kelly uh, he entered the league two years ago as a 30 year old rookie, which is wild in itself. He was okay as a pitcher, wasn't bad. Last year he was better, but his only year at the plate was 2019. And he went one for 52 with 25 strikeouts. Again, he almost struck out in half of its at-bats. His only hit, he had a two-run ground ball. So, Kelly's goal, he says, I just want to be better than I was in 2019. So, Colby, will he be better than one for 52 with 25 Ks? I'm actually not surprised at the amount of strikeouts. I, I feel like pitchers outside of Madison Bumgarner, like... They don't do well. But they usually sack bunt, which is just sure. wild that you actually yeah. had 52 ABs and struck out 25 times. Yeah, he's like a Joey Gallo at the plate. Literally. Um, yeah, I think he does better than one for 52. I don't know how many strikeouts. He's probably still going to strike out in half. But probably. I think he's, <laughs> yeah. he's going to get more than one hit. Yeah. Corey? I'm going out on a limb. I say he gets an extra base hit. I'm not saying wow. dinger, but I think he finds an alley somewhere. Wow. And I think he gets on he his horse. an alley. Interesting. Oh, man. I, Interesting, man. If, it's, if, it's, he's, if he's getting questions in spring training about his hitting, you know he's been thinking about it. Always practicing and like, hard. And he, he probably asked the reporter to be like, hey, ask me about my hitting stats. I got some things planned this year. <laughs> 100%. Like, I, think, I think he's got extra base hits on his mind this season. And at 32, why not just ball out and try and hit ding? Right, like, yeah. why not, man? Uh, finally, it's interesting that you said uh, extra base hits. That leads uh, leads us to our final player, Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, if you didn't know, he's probably the biggest hater of the DH moving into the NL ever. He loves to hit. He has fifty extra base hits in his career, ten of them being dingers. Uh, five extra base hits away, which is interesting, of being one of three pitchers to have ten home runs. And 55 extra base hits, which is a clearly illustrious company. I would tell you who the other <laughs> players are that are in there, but it's irrelevant. You don't need to know who they are because you probably <laughs> never heard of them. Uh, he's also one. He needs to go uh, one for one in pinch hitting to have a 300 pinch hitting average. He says that means a lot to him. But the biggest thing on Adam Wainwright's bucket list, <laughs> trying to get his first stolen base of the year. Will Adam Wainwright steal a bag in 2021, Colby? 
Um, isn't this the same Adam Wainwright that has had like multiple Tommy John surgeries? Sure is. So my my I'll worry. I'll put it this way: he's not young. No, that's exactly right. If he's yeah. hitting, he's hitting uh, fifty extra base hits as a pitcher. He's been around a little while. Yes. Um, I, my worry is he's gonna go. Say he gets on first, he's gonna go try to steal second. He's gonna get his arm like caught on the bag or something else, and he's gonna like do something it, to his to his throwing arm. He doesn't care though, because no. it's on his bucket list. He wants to do this. It, okay, as as a first or third base coach, are you sending Adam Wainwright? I don't think oh, it matters. It matter. no, no. <laughs> Wainwright is not looking over. Not he doesn't looking. give a fuck what the sign is. He's gonna try and time up whoever the the pitcher is, and go. Does he get an SB? Okay. Well, I mean, if he has no fucks in the world, then absolutely he's going to get one because he's going to keep trying until he gets one. Hmm. Hmm. Corey? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to believe it, but I'm trying to. So do you know what the definition of uh, defensive indifference is, like catcher's indifference is, Lance? Basically when they just don't try to throw. Um, so is it? I always thought it was when it was like big leads, but I've heard somebody say it's like whenever. If the catcher just doesn't throw it, it's catcher's indifference and it doesn't count as a stolen base. Yeah, it's pretty much just when there's no attempt made. Okay, so I wonder if... Like the catcher has to be indifferent about it. They're like, eh. Do you want to be the catcher known as the catcher that Adam Wainwright stole on you? No. Honestly, considering Adam, Adam Wainwright's career, yes. Okay. Like, okay. if I well, was the catcher, I would just lob one real high to second. Okay. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's, they think the opposite, and they see Adam Wainwright getting on his horse, and you're like, ah, I'm just not going to throw it just in case. <laughs> it just gets, So they don't get the stolen base. I don't know. I, I just I wonder. That's when I you hope that Yachty Molina starts pulling some strings in the catcher community. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you've got it in. I That's think. true. I, I don't do know if he gets it, though. though. I don't know. I think he tries a couple times, and, you know, it just takes one bad throw. True, true. Finally, I found some random things from spring training in a segment I like to call, Does This Matter? Uh, CJ Crone, former LA Angel, now with the Colorado Rockies camp, uh, he hit a ball nearly 116 miles per hour, which is four miles per hour harder than any ball that he hit last year. Does that matter? No. Hmm. Corey, um, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, no. Okay. No, it doesn't because he struck out 16 times in 13 games last year. It's true. And 107 the year before, and 145 the year before. So I don't think it was how hard he hit the ball that was the problem. I think it was that he just he couldn't hit the ball. When he connects, he can he can go far. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I will say it does matter. Uh, when he's not, like, I should have mentioned, he's a non-roster invitee. Uh, you guys could see that, but it wasn't put out there. So he's not on the team yet. It does matter because Colorado is an absolute piss missile of a place to play. And uh, if he's hitting it 116, he'll get fans in the stands because he's going to be hitting them like 700 feet. It's going to be incredible. Uh, so CJ Crone hitting bombs matters. He's earned his spot. Yeah. Uh, over to the Toronto Blue Jays, pitcher Robbie Ray has been averaging 96 miles an hour on his fastball this spring. It's around three miles an hour harder than he threw all of last season. Does that matter? Corey? Um, yes, it does. Robbie Ray is known for his strikeouts in his career. 
Um, and last year he had an off year and he got traded to Toronto and it didn't quite work there either. And it didn't work in Arizona. And it didn't work there either. <laughs> there was rust last year. <laughs> there was um, rust all season. The um, Jays didn't have a home. They played in Buffalo. Yeah, so a guy that uh, is known for his strikeouts um, to be trying different things and trying to get back on to what he's known for and what's made him successful in his career, yeah, that's a good thing. Cool. Colby. Ditto. No, uh, Robbie Ray is known for his strikeouts. Corey took the words right out of my mouth. He's also known for his walks. So True. If he can't control 93, I guarantee he ain't controlling 96. Oh, no. So, uh, so does it matter? <laughs> best of luck whoever no. stands in the box with him, I guess, eh? Just but make sure you wear doing it in. He plays in doing it in where that strikeout, the Dunedin. strike zone's bigger. That's true. So it just doesn't matter. That's true. Down in doing it in, they have bigger <laughs> strike zones. And finally, <laughs> <Dunedin> Florida. <laughs> now to the Florida, and uh, we'll swing over to Houston for our final one. Astros pitcher Lance McCullers Jr. has uh, apparently added a cutter over the offseason, which apparently, according to spring training analytics, yeah, those are a real thing. Uh, he is locating his uh, new cutter better than his sinker that he's had all of his professional career. Now, the repertoire, the pitches that McCullers throws, mainly a sinker, curve, and a change. Does it matter that he's now added a fourth pitch, a cutter? Colby. Oh, he does. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you just wait your turn. No, pitch. it's okay. He can go. Nope. Colby. No. Um, this is my segment of does it matter? Okay. <laughs> does it matter? Yes, it does matter. Mm. Uh, McCullers is trying to get back into a starting rotation job. And uh, if this pitch is analytically better than his best pitch, he's significantly better. Mm-hmm. Is he not? Like, that's that's a big addition. And that's only going to help the uh, Astros rotation. So, yes, it does matter. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I just don't like pitchers that don't throw a fastball, a four-seam fastball. So... Mm. Anybody that doesn't is irrelevant to me. So it does not matter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, so if you look that's at weird, if you look at the breakdown of his pitches, he does throw a fastball. It's just very, very rare. Uh, like, like it's so rare that it's not worth mentioning because uh, almost every single fastball he throws has natural sink. Um or just right. he just runs it anyway. Uh, it does matter. I'm with you, with you, Colby. It does matter because if you can add a fourth pitch as a starting pitcher, uh, you are much more deceiving than having a sinker, a curveball, and a change. Uh, curveball looks nothing like a sinker, and a changeup you can adjust easily from a sinker to a change, considering they look very similar in their ball movement. But a cutter sweeps the other way, and all of a sudden it becomes more difficult to read. And just think like. McCullers was so good a couple seasons back. Like it was him, it was Verlander, yep. um, like a top of that rotation. If like, just imagine a healthy McCullers adding this pitch. Mm-hmm. Health is the big one. Of course, it's yeah. Of course, I think he him. should throw just more fastballs and less everything else and save his arm. But like, I'm not a doctor. Do you right. want his ERA well, to be like six? Well, I don't know. Why not? That's not <laughs> helping anybody though. <laughs> You're going to see some blowing ACLs early. <laughs> he's yeah. going to be right. He's, he's probably going to be jumping off for a PFP and being like blowing out his legs. True. <laughs> Poor guy. Throwing cutters to first base. Fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be the worst. The dude can't throw a ball straight. Shout out to whoever's playing first, unless it's fucking what's his name? Who's Guriel? I hate Yuli oh, Guriel. Yeah. So, yeah. unless it's Yuli Guriel. 
Shout out them. If it's Yuli Gurriel, throw him a fucking sinker. Right in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the end that's of your it, segment? No, there, that's sir? all we have of Is Does it, That Matter. That was and fun. That was Does That Matter. We'll have to do a does does that segment for that. Matter. Well, who knows? Does that segment matter? Keep yeah. it for everything. Bring it back next week or okay, two yeah. weeks from now when we do another podcast. <laughs> I'll try. I'll yeah. try. All right. Anything else you guys want to touch on before we head out of here? No. We've gone long. Um, no. No. It's been a long time. Get back to uh, get back to game in there, Corey. You're talking about your uh, your your hockey championships off air. Yeah. yeah. The, the Jets are going to the finals. Hell yeah. Go Jets, go. <laughs> go Jets. Go Jets, go! That's going to wrap things up for this edition of On the Board. What do you say Jets are going to win today? Isn't that... uh, Go Jets, go! Is that the actual cheer, though? Go Jets, go! I've heard that somewhere. You like that? I do. I've heard that I made it up. I feel like... Is that a football? Is it a basketball cheer? made it up myself. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I'll I'll go search the... The archives. Yep. Uh, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're on Twitter as well at on the board pod. Looking forward to some more Tigers action. They're not playing this upcoming weekend. They are playing the 26th through the 28th. So uh, also we didn't touch on March Madness. That starts tomorrow being the Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have a lot to talk about. We're, you and I were talking off air. Like it's crazy how it's starting already. It's true. I, I it kind of stuck up on everyone. I don't think we were paying a whole lot of attention to college basketball this year, but it's here. As a degenerate gambler, you're gonna put some money down on anybody. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I have a list actually. I have an inside scoop, so I can't tell you who it is, but I'll tell you once the tournament's done if I want. We'll touch on that next episode. By the way, the Cubs. The Cubs. That was the song. (laughs) That's what I was I didn't want to leave you, like, actually wondering forever. It was the Cubs. Four lads doll, Corey Bacoskis. Go Cubs, go! Colvin McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes! Yes!